Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and miniseries. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. Well, I do thank Bruce Tenenbaum for filling in for me while I was on vacation last week. It was when we realized that we were starting a, a 10-week series and I was going to be gone on day one. It was like, who can do this and who better than someone who grew up in the Jewish faith and became a Christian and understands how the Ten Commandments are tied together, that that they are part of who we are, part of our Jewish heritage, and part of our Christian, Christian faith day to day, even in the 21st century. So as we look at all of these things, we, we look at the broad scope, what the, what the Ten Commandments mean. This week, we're also looking specifically at the Second Commandment. The Second Commandment is the one about not making idols, not creating things with your own hands. So let's turn to Exodus um, chapter 20, and we'll read. The, often the First and Second Commandments sort of blur together. So I'm reading the same passage in Exodus that Bruce read last week. This is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You you shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing children for the iniquity of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. And let's turn now to the book of Jonah. If you read my e-letter this week, you saw that there was a, a one verse in Jonah that, you know, how many times have you read Jonah, but it just jumped off the page at me. So listen for what he says about idolatry in verse 8. But I'm going to start in Jonah 2, uh, verse, starting with verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Here's verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
As we look at the Ten Commandments, a lot of people feel like it's, it's an automatic guilt trip. It's here's all the things that you have to do and that you're not doing, so knock it off. But that is not the way Jesus presents the Ten Commandments. Jesus presents the Ten Commandments as, as the way that God is making us holy. We don't earn our way to God. But back a few weeks ago when Pastor Linda was talking about us being a covenantal church, a, a, a church of committed relationships, she talked about a one-way covenant, that God is a covenant-making God who, who says, I don't care if you can't uphold your side of the covenant, I will do that for you. Jesus Christ came to earth to die and to be raised from the dead to pay the price of our side of the covenant. He is the only one who has ever, in the history of humankind, ever been able to fulfill all of the Ten Commandments perfectly for his whole life. But it is by his grace and by his salvation that now, now that we are saved through faith in Christ, that we get to live out the way that he is calling us to live. Pastor Steve always says our, our, the way that we live is a response to what God has done. So our response to God's great salvation, his incredible grace, the faith that he pours out on us, our response should be wanting to obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So here are the commandments. They're summed up in the New Testament as love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the other is, is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You can see both of those commandments throughout all, of the, of all ten of the commandments. If we love God, if we receive his love for us, then we are called to live in that love. And that love looks like the Ten Commandments. As, as Jesus takes the law and he talks to people about it, you can see the Pharisees over and over again wanting to nitpick them. Like, does it really mean this? Can we get away with that? And Jesus, when you look at the way he treats the Ten Commandments, so some of the ceremonial laws he leaves behind, but the moral law, especially the Ten Commandments, he amplifies. He makes it louder. He makes it more intense. He, he says, I've, I've heard that, you, you've heard it said that do not commit murder, but I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, that's the equivalent of committing murder. You, you hear that don't commit adultery, but I tell you, if you have lust in your heart, that's the equivalent. God wants to see not only the outward signs that we're being good about keeping the Ten Commandments, he wants a total transformation of our heart. He wants to scrub us clean. The, um, the study guide says the Ten Commandments are, are the mirror, but not the soap. <laughs> so they're the mirror that we get, that holds up, that we can see who we are and how far we are from, from holiness as God is holy. But Jesus Christ is the soap. It's his blood, it's his grace that cleanses us as we walk in this. But as we study the Ten Commandments, we start to see how far we have to go in the sanctification process, that purifying process, the washing process. And it's a way to say, Lord, it is not me, it's not my strength, but it's in your strength. Please help me be more like you. We can't do this with our own strength, but we can do it with Christ's strength. It's also something that we need to do in community. The, the, new, the, the Ten Commandments are not just one individual's moral laws. It's something that we as a people need to be formed by, and we as a people need to be understanding what these things mean. 
What does it mean not to steal? Well, okay, I'm not a shoplifter, but what does it mean about, you know, are you paying an ethical wage to your employees? Are you, are you buying products that have, uh, are, are sourced without stealing someone's, someone's living wage? Are there ways that we can live in an ethical way that honors the love that God has for us and loves neighbor? And those are kind of questions that we need to, to understand and grapple with as a community. The, uh, one of my uh, seminary professors, Stanley Hauerwas, is a character and a half, but he, he wrote an entire book about the Ten Commandments with, with Will Willimon, the, the, the chaplain at the time at Duke. And, and it's, it's a fascinating book because he wants to challenge the community of faith to explore how to do these commandments together. He, he says, apart from community, the commands of God seem heroic, impossible, or just odd. They really should come with a sign, warning, don't obey these alone. <laughs> we need each other to think about what these mean, to think about um, how we live them out, to hold us accountable, to, to have people challenge us in our views so that we can be iron sharpens iron and moving people forward. He, he, how I say, hates it when, like, um, he calls it American civil religion, like the, the general be nice, be good, and everything will be fine thing. He wants the Christians to be a peculiar people. He calls us resident aliens. Like we are, we are the people of the kingdom of God who are called to live here and to live in a different way, in a way that is compelling and engaging to those around us. So he says the Ten Commandments, their function is not to keep the American culture running smoothly, but rather to produce a people who are in our daily lives a sign, a signal, a witness that God has not left the world to its own devices. We, we have the Ten Commandments because we have been delivered and redeemed by God. The Ten Commandments, if we follow them, set us apart from the world around us, the world that has, it feels like has lost its mind, it's lost its moral foundation, it's lost its compass. But when we follow the Ten Commandments and honor God, love neighbor, and love God, the world says, what is it about those people? I, there's something different about them. How can I be part of that? We are supposed to live out in a way God's blessings on us and his gifts to us so that we can love others well and, and be ministers of reconciliation so they can be reconciled to God. It is, it is about witness. When we obey, we worship God and we witness to the world that we serve the one true God who is with us and in us and grants us the incredible gift of eternal salvation. So when we look specifically at the second commandment, again, the first commandment um, that, that Bruce talked about last time, you shall have no other gods before me. God alone, God is one. God is God and you are not. <laughs> As Pastor Linda just said, hey, God is the only one who is worthy. And, and then the second commandment goes along with that. You shall not create any idols. You shall not create images of God that you worship. You shall not worship anything but God. For some of you who grew up Catholic, you know that, that actually the Catholics put one and two together in a lump, and then they split apart nine and ten. Um, for the purposes of our, uh, of our study, we'll, we'll use what the Reformed tradition has been as well as the Jewish tradition, which is to split one and two. So no other God before me, and then do not create idols or worship them. 
When we think about why God wants us not to create an image of himself that we can worship or an image of anything else to worship, um, you think instantly of the Israelites and the golden calf. The Israelites had just seen the miracle of being delivered up out of Egypt. The Red Sea parted. They were delivered toward the promised land. They, they had manna to eat. They had water that came from a rock. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And then Moses goes up to the mountain, and what happens? Moses stays up there for a very long time, and they start to worry. And they start to panic, and they start to decide that, you know what, that God seems to have abandoned us, so let's create another one. And so they give all of their gold earrings and the plunder they had taken up out of Egypt, and they create a golden calf. It's a, it, it's a God that they can create themselves with their own hands. It's a God that, that will do what they want it to do. One commentary I read uh, said, an object that worshipers believe they can manipulate as suits them is what an idol is. God does not wish to be represented in any way that reduces his greatness by making him into an object that people can imagine they can control in some way. So the, the people of Israel were trying to control God. You see this, uh, this desire to, to have a, a God that does what they need him to do. They wanted him to be right there, right present. They didn't want to have to rely on faith or trust that the God of Moses was still talking. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was there, but just up on the mountain. They wanted God right now, and they were going to grab God right now. We see this, this pattern happen over and over and over in, in the Old Testament and through the New Testament. When you think of Gideon, who had this incredible miracle of, of conquering this huge army with 300 people. But what happens after Gideon conquers them all? He creates his own idol. And, and like, even though he saw God do an incredible miracle, yet he decides he wants an idol that he can control himself. And God is saying, what are you doing? You see it over and over. Solomon and all of his wisdom, you know what his downfall was? It was idolatry. This is 1 Kings chapter 11. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his, hearts after other God, turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of, his, of David his father had been. So Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Isn't that incredibly tragic? Here is the, the, the man who was wisest of all, all kings, and yet he, was, he allowed himself to, be, to drift away from pure worship of God. And that was the great tragedy of Solomon. Habakkuk talks specifically about this, calls out those who create idols for themselves. What, of what value is an idol crafted by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it tr trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with silver and gold. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all earth be silent before him. So Habakkuk is, is calling out to the emptiness of our, of our idols that, that we might cre create them. They may be beautiful, covered in silver and gold, but they are nothing. They have no breath in them. They have no life in them. But why do we keep getting turned away and turned away and turned away? 
That's when we see Jonah. What did Jonah do? He turned away. I told you a few weeks ago, Jonah, Jonah was told to go up to Nineveh. Instead, he went down to Joppa, and he went down to the port, and he went down into the ship, and then down into the whale. He was chasing an idol of his own control. He did not want to obey God. He wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. And he thought he was going to achieve freedom by following his own will. But then he realizes that that, that is not freedom at all. It's slavery to, to, to something else. And again, he says in verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. When we worship control, when we worship our own will and our own direction, our own plans and, and desires, we turn away from God's love for us. How incredibly tragic is that? God is here. He's wanting to share with us all of his love. He's wanting to lavish his love out on us. And we're like, thanks ever so much. I want to do my thing. And we turn away from his love for us by turning to idols. In the New Testament, we see the same pattern over and over again. In Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7, uh, it, that is one of the he's trying to, to lay before the Israelites or the, the, the Sanhedrin all of the sins of the people, that they are still committing idolatry even as had been done before. He, he says at that time, he's talking about the Israelites, at that time they made a calf, offered a sacrifice to the idol, and reveled in the works of their own hands. They reveled in the works of their own hands. Stephen saw in the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they were reveling in the works of their own hands. They were following the law. They were following the checklist, but they were not worshiping God in their true hearts. They were not following God with everything that was in them. They were not in relationship with God. They were in relationship with a checklist. A checklist is not going to change your life. A checklist may make you feel like you've accomplished something, but it is not the fullness of the love of God. You think of Paul in Athens um, when in Acts chapter 17 as he, he talks about the, the unknown God and, and he sees a city full of idols. It says uh, the first, um, in Acts 17, 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Greatly distressed. When's the last time you looked at the world around us and were greatly distressed by the idols around us? They're everywhere. And Paul saw this and he tried to remind them that the one true God was there in their presence, had already intervened before, and they needed to come to know Jesus Christ. And in, in Romans chapter 1, Paul is explaining how, um, how the Lord has revealed his presence, his grace, his truth, his majesty through creation. But sin has blinded us to that, and so God turns us over to worship the creation instead of the creator. And he, he says in Romans 1, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to them, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So he's saying, and when we turn from the creator and turn to worship of, of creation, to revel in the work of our own hands, we're turning away from God's love. We're turning away from his perfect plan and will, the joy that we can have in Jesus Christ. 
We see many other times in the New Testament this call to flee from idolatry. It's very interesting to see how often um, the two subjects are often linked to idolatry, food and sexuality. People want to eat whatever they want to eat and, and will we'll sort of flagrantly say, well, I don't care if it's sacrificed to an idol, by, by offending their weaker brother for whom they are just escaping idolatry. And Paul says, when you're ignoring that, you're actually following your own will instead of God's love for your weaker brother. You're, the thing that it matters the most is your love for them. Sexuality and idolatry were very, very linked in that time, but you can see that link in our current society. It is the people think that that is following freedom when they are following, they are following slavery when they don't involve sex in, their, in, the, in the way that God wants it to be in a, the marriage between a man and a woman. Even in 1 John chapter 5, the very, very last verse in 1 John, if you're writing a letter, what, what do you want to say at the very, very end? His very last verse is, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. So he's seeing it even in the Christian community that they are chasing after other things to worship instead of turning to the Lord our God. So what is an idol now in the 21st century? What do they look like? One writer says, idolatry is the assumption that salvation can come elsewhere than from God. That salvation can come elsewhere other than God. We, we look to so many different things to fill the hole in our heart, to, to bring meaning to our lives, that anything like that can pull us away. Tim Keller writes, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that is so central and essential to your life that if you should lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Therefore, one can make anything into an idol. Anything. What in your life is consuming your time more than God? How easy is it to do your little tiny devotional in the morning and then spend the rest of your day like, okay, God, thanks very much. We've, we've talked and now I can do my thing. Or how much time do we spend on our phones instead of with God? How much time do we spend consumed with sports? I mean, Pittsburgh has a little bit of an idol on, on football Sundays. It's pretty funny. The whole city turns to worship this team and pray that they do well. But, but idolatry can be all kinds of different things. As Pastor Linda in, involves some of that in her prayer, in her prayer confession. The study guide talks about Five things that, that frequently become idols. Possessions, positions, power, pleasures, and people. Position, possessions, positions, power, pleasures, and people. So it can be a thing. It can be achieving the, 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 the ultimate dream home. It can be um, a great car. It can be just having enough stuff around you that you feel safe and secure. It can be position. It can be your dream job. It can be um, the leadership of the church even. It can be all kinds of different things that make you feel like you're, you're important. You have worth. You have identity other than things that God gives you identity and worth in. It can be power. Now, we think of people in power like, you know, dictators in Africa or something, but power can can, can be lived out in our very day-to-day -day lives because we want to control our environment. We want to control the people that we interact with. 
and that's that desire for control to, to have a grip on everything sometimes creates that, that an idol of control rather than trusting and faith that God is going to be at present and at work, that God is at work in the person that you're talking to and you don't need to control them. You need to trust that God is at work there. Pleasures, as I mentioned, sexuality is often tied up with idolatry. The, the sense that this will bring meaning and, and, and impact in my life. I will feel more worthy or more beautiful or more important if I engage in this, forgetting that God has a perfect and beautiful plan that we can follow, and the true freedom is with him and not with fulfilling our own pleasure. People can, can become idols as well. I think that's one reason why Abraham was asked to, to put Isaac on the altar. Abraham had, had let his, his son become the most important thing in his life. And God wanted to test him on that. Do you love me more than your son? Of course, God saved his son as a result of Abraham's act of faithfulness. But people, spouses, children, um, even celebrities or sports stars can become an idol in our lives. It was really interesting when my father passed away, my mom realized how much my dad had represented the faith to her. That, that she, she was like, felt like she was safe because he was there and he was the spiritual head of the household and she didn't have to work as hard and suddenly he was taken away. And she realized, I mean, she loved God all of her life, but she realized that she needed to grow in, in, in worshiping God directly rather than allowing herself to kind of sail on the coattails of someone else. You, you never know what an, is an idol in our life until it's taken away. I saw this really interesting list uh, of things, statements that you can think of, like God should fit in the blank, but there are a lot of other things that fit in these blanks. So think about what would fit in the blank for you. Blank gives purpose, meaning, and fulfillment to my life. Blank governs the way that I act. Blank is the focal point around which my existence hangs. Blank is often in my thoughts and motivates me in life. Blank comforts me when I am down, troubled, sick, or confused. Blank is what I read about, talk about, center my spiritual life on. Blank is what I desire more of in my life. Of course, chocolate can fit into a lot of those blanks. <laughs> comforts me when I'm down, <laughs> what I want more of in my life. But, but there are many things in our lives that we can fit into those blanks. What does comfort you? What does, when you have a really hard day, when you're frustrated about something, what do you turn to? What do you, like, blank out your mind with rather than turning to God? God calls us to continually be looking at what is in our heart. John Calvin says that a human heart is an idol-making factory an idol-making factory. We can make idols out of anything and quickly. And God is saying, purify yourself from those idols. Don't let them control your life. Instead, turn toward the love of God. And God will provide what we truly need. God will provide freedom when we think, we, when we realize that we've been in slavery to all of those things, when we turn back to God. He opens the world to us and provides us freedom and grace. Chris, Christopher Wright, and, uh, he was sort of the, uh, the heir apparent of John Stott's ministry. He writes, false gods destroy and devour lives, health, and resources. They distort and diminish our humanity. They preside over injustice, greed, perversion, cruelty, lust, and violence. 
Only the gospel can unmask these claims. Think about the violence that we've seen, the division that we've seen in the last year and a half in our, in our society. There's an idol at the back of almost every single thing that we've seen. How can we let go of idolatry? Sometimes the idolatry is, is the whiteness of your skin. Sometimes the idolatry is trying to, to hold on to your resources so that nobody else can get them. Sometimes the idolatry is, is our own wisdom. Like, we think we have it all figured out. Everybody else is, is ridiculous. But God is the one who is calling us to worship only Him and in Him and through Him to love our neighbor as ourselves. Only the gospel, only the gospel can unmask these claims. Only the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus Christ who came to earth, who entered into our life, who lived a perfect life and paid the price that we deserve. We deserved to die for the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ paid that price so that we could be set free and he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death and conquering all of the idols in our life. He is the one who, who transforms us, who sets us free by his grace. And it is by turning toward his love that we are set free from the idols in our lives. When, when we think about, it's funny how we can sometimes turn faith, our faith walk into an idol itself. We, it, it can be religiosity. It's not just a relationship. It's, 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 again, worshiping the checklist rather than the one behind it. But, but when we turn to the Lord in relationship with him, that's when he transforms our life. One author said, prayer is a protest against idolatry. It's turning toward the Lord and saying, it's all from you, Lord. It's all gift. It's all grace. You are the one who is at work in my life. You're the one who is the source of all of the good things, and I will worship the creator and not the creation. One of my friends uh, always was careful when she was talking to her daughter about needing to have her daily devotion. She would say, I need to go spend time with Jesus. I love that statement. It's, it's a reminder that this is about a relationship, not a checklist. It's not something we're trying to achieve. It's just spending time with Jesus. What is the antidote to idolatry in our life? It is spending time with Jesus. It, it's thanksgiving. It's saying, God, thank you for this and that and this. All that I have is total gift. None of it is from my own merit or control or position or possession or power. It's all a gift of God. So the, the, our challenge for us now is to turn to God and to say, open my eyes. Help me to see where I filled those blanks in with something other than Jesus Christ. Show me, Lord. We have to ask for him to give us his, his spectacles of faith, his, his, uh, his eyesight to see what it is in our lives. He holds up the mirror of the Ten Commandments and he reveals it to us. But the amazing thing is when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we turn to the Lord and turn away from idols, we are set free, we are washed, we are cleansed by the power of the word of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we turn to the Lord in, in his infinite love. 
Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.